Well, Happy New Year. It's always good to start out a new year in God's house. Amen. John chapter 8 this morning. We're going to begin at verse 58. John chapter 8 and verse 58. There's not a person present here this morning in this auditorium or who's watching by live stream this service that does not have some measure of insecurity in our lives. Every human being struggles with insecurity to some degree or another. And insecurity has many faces, and all of them are fear. Insecurity has many faces, but all of them are fear. Some ways those fears are expressed in our life. Self-doubt. Anyone here struggle with that? Micromanagement. Having to be in control of every little thing. Anxiety is another way that our fear through insecurity is expressed. Defensiveness, getting very defensive when someone says something or points something out is another expression of that. Needing to continually be affirmed is another. Always comparing ourselves with others. Jealousy and envy of others is the way our insecurities come out. I could go on and on. Insecurity and fear is something that has always been here since the fall of man. But Jesus came not only to bring us salvation and forgiveness of sins and eternal life through his sacrifice on the cross and his subsequent resurrection, he also came to make his people totally secure in him. To release us and set us free from our struggle with insecurity in our life. And there's only one way to do that, or one process that you and I have to go through as a Christian in order to do that. One, we've got to continually know who our Jesus is. Two, we've got to embrace him for who he really is. So it's not just a matter of head knowledge of, okay, I know who you are, Jesus. It's a matter of, yes, and I embrace you for who you really are. I'm not here to make you into the God that I want you to be. I'm here for you to tell me who you are as God, and then I embrace it. And then finally, to ground our identity totally in him. To ground our identity totally in him. See, you and I will know that we're starting to get there Whenever, when we think of who we are, the first thing that comes into our mind is that 
My status as a human being is that I am deeply and unconditionally loved by God. That's the first thing that comes into our mind. See, our identity for many of us as human beings, even as Christians, part of why we struggle is our identity is grounded in something of earth or something else. We, we ground our identity in our roles in life and responsibilities. I am this, I am that, or in my occupation, or what I do for a living, or how much I make, or all these things. We, we ground our identity in all these things, and all these things of earth can and will change. And that's why then when you see that people have experience some kind of change in their life, something has changed in their life, their identity changes with it, and therefore their world is rocked, and they are set way backward, and they struggle because their identity is in shifting sand rather than in the solid rock of Jesus Christ. When God first was moving in me to do this and to do this series as a worship series, I kept questioning, God, what does this have to do with worship? And then the more I immersed myself with God in the passages we're going to be looking at over the next eight weeks, I'm like, I get it, God. Now I understand. It is absolutely all about worship. Because isn't worship about knowing my God more and more, embracing him more and more for who he is, and grounding my identity in nothing else or no one else but him? That's worship. That's what worship is all about. And so here's what God wants to do in our lives over these next eight weeks and then beyond. He wants to either continue the work that he's already doing to do this, or he wants to start a work of setting us free from our insecurity and grounding our total identity in him. In order to do that, though, he's got to reveal to us who he is, who he really is. And then we've got to be willing to understand and comprehend who he's telling us he is and then be willing to embrace that and ground our identity in him. That's the only way we can overcome insecurity and fear in our life. It's the only way we'll overcome the micromanagement and the self-doubt and the jealousy and envy and, and, and comparing ourselves with others and all these other expressions of fear that really are coming out of our insecurities, our anxiety. It's because we don't feel totally secure. So let's go this first week to John chapter 8 and verse 58. And we're going to look at this passage a little bit later, but I just want to start with the verse where Jesus declares, I am. He says to his audience, he said, I tell you a solemn truth. The old King James would use the words truly, truly, or verily, verily. Jesus is really trying to get the attention here of those that are around him. And he says, I tell you a solemn truth. Before Abraham came into existence, I am. Now, in that statement, John 8, 58, Jesus is saying, I am the self-existent, 
self-reliant, self-defined, eternal God. I am the God who always was, always is, and always will be. I am. And they understood that he was declaring deity here, declaring to be God, because of using that phrase that we're going to look at in just a moment that God used to Moses back in Exodus chapter 3. They understood that. We know they understood that he was declaring to be God because notice in verse 59 what they did. They took up stones to stone him to death. And because it wasn't his time yet, he passed through their midst. I don't know whether he disappeared or how he did it, but the Bible says he passed through their midst and went out of, and don't miss this, the temple area. You notice where Jesus was when he was talking to these people about who he really was. He was talking to those who presumably were there to worship God, religious people, people who were interested in spiritual things. And yet when he said, this is who I am, they took up stones to stone him. How would you feel if you were around some people and you made yourself vulnerable, as it's hard for all of us to do. And you shared with them, this is who I am. And they began to pick up stones to stone you to death. You'd feel pretty rejected, wouldn't you? Why did Jesus do that? Well, first of all, because Jesus doesn't have an insecure bone in his body, in his deity or in his humanity. In fact, in verse 14 of John chapter 8, he tells this same audience, he says, I know where I came from and where, you, where I'm going. You all don't. You don't know where you came from and where you're going. He's talking to God. In fact, he's talking to the leaders of Judaism. He's talking to the spiritual leaders of Israel, many of them, when he's saying these things. See, these people thought they knew God. They thought they were in if anybody was going to go to heaven, it was them simply because of their relationship to Abraham and, and their bloodline and their ancestry. They were good to go. And yet Jesus here is basically destroying, destroying their false security. Because guess what? That's what God will do because that's what love will do. Love will destroy all of our false securities so he can ground us in what's only and truly and really secure. Because these people thought they were secure, and they really weren't. They were building their lives on shifting sand, not on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. And God wants to destroy all of those false securities that we put our security in. Why? Because he loves us too much to allow us to live with those false securities, because again, what will they do? They will change. They will move. They won't stay the same. And then our life gets thrown into some tizzy or topsy-turvy because we were placing our security and our stability in something that really isn't secure and stable. Only God and only our relationship with him can totally be stable and secure. Everything else, as we've seen, especially this past year in our lives, is the reality that we're living in a constant, fluid situation, an ever-changing world, and it's going to continue to be that way until you and I go to see Jesus. 
So we've either got to start putting our security and stability in someone other than the things that we are so that we don't allow the changes that are going to continue to take place in this world and the circumstances and situations we find ourselves in to continually rock us and set us backward, but be able to navigate them and rise above them. And the only way to do that is to know who Jesus really is, to embrace who Jesus really is, and to ground our identity in him. And think about it. The Lord of glory was willing to put up with the insults and the verbal abuse, and the physical abuse, and the blasphemy, not only so he could bring us salvation, but so that he could bring us security in our lives. Why would God, who created these very people that are getting ready to stone him to death because he's simply telling them who he is, and they won't believe him, they won't embrace him, they won't accept him for that, because that's not who they want their God to be, why would he go through that? Because of people like you and I that he knew we would embrace who he was. And he knew that there would be people down through history that would accept him for who he really is, would embrace him for who he really is, and ground our identity in him so that we not only have the hope of salvation that we can live with every day, but that we can be a secure and stable people no matter what's going on in the world because of the one that we are grounded into and who we identify ourselves with. To show you even how important it is that we ground ourselves in our identity in Jesus Christ alone, I would encourage you in some time early in this new year to go through the New Testament especially and pull out all the, the verses that have these two words in them, in Christ. Do you know how many times the Bible reminds us that you and I, as children of God, are in Christ? In Christ. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ, over and over and over again. Why is God doing that? Because he wants us to know that's who we are and that we are in Jesus Christ, the great I am. Now, before we come back to John chapter 8, though, because his audience obviously got the link, let's go back to Exodus chapter 3 for just a moment and remind ourselves about the first time this phrase was used. And remember, before we started the worship today, I said that the phrase I am also means to continually be in the present, that Jesus was not only declaring his deity, he was also declaring his involvement. He's saying, I'm here, and I'm present, and I'm involved. You start to get that flavor of that, too, back in Exodus chapter 3, whenever God begins to talk and converse with Moses, and he says, Moses, I've seen the affliction of my people. I have heard their cries. I know their pain and suffering, and now I've come down to deliver them. I'm involved. I'm present. We all need to remember that. God is present and ever-present in our lives every day. And then God says this to Moses. He says, so now I'm going to send you to Pharaoh so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of their bondage in Egypt. And what's the next three words that Moses says to God? Who am I? 
not the primary question. And yet, isn't that the question that many times we say back to God as well? Who am I? And what's that express? Insecurity and fear, right? Self-doubt, all those things. That's what that's an expression of. Why? Because first, before we're focused on who he is, we're focused on ourselves. And not that that's wrong, but that shouldn't be the first question. The first question should be, who are you? Not who am I? Because what God is going to remind Moses of is this. Who you are is secondary to who I am. And when you begin to live your life out of who I am, then you'll be less concerned about who you are. Because you'll learn that if you're connected to me, you've got all the sufficiency and provision and resources you'll need to do whatever I'm asking you to do or whatever life brings your way. Because I am the great I am. And we've heard that question. Remember last week when we ended our series on rediscovering our all of God as the disciples were sitting around the campfire that Jesus had made there on the sh shore after they had caught that great catch of fish? The Bible says they're looking at him and they're knowing it's the Lord, but they say, who are you? But that's the right question, is realizing, God, who are you? And continuing to grow in our awe and wonder and reverence and respect of God. That's worship. In fact, even in this passage, because they're so blown away by the statements of Jesus back in John chapter 8, and I know I'm going back and forth, but just stay with me in Exodus, but just go back for a moment in your mind at John chapter 8, and you can look these verses up later. In John 8, 25, his audience says, who are you? And then in John 8, I think it's verse 53, they say, who do you think you are? Because he's claiming to be greater than their father, Abraham. But that's the right question. That's the question to start with. Why? Because then we're beginning to understand that my identity and my security isn't as much wrapped up in who I am, and I'll never really understand who I am before I understand who he is. Because the only way to understand who we really are is to understand him first and understand our identity in him. Did that make sense at all to you? That's the problem, though, with many today, even those who claim to be Christ followers, is their identity is not being discovered in who he is. They're still just trying to find who they are separate from him. The only way you and I will ever know who we truly are is to know who he is first and then who we are in him. And that's where many are missing it today. And that's why there's so much insecurity and fear, even amongst Christians. Because we've missed the connection between his identity and our identity being wrapped up and intertwined together. The most important question is never who we are. The most important question always is, first, who are you? Because when I begin to know who you are, and I embrace who you really are, and then I ground my identity in who you really are, then I learn who I really am. 
and even what my potential is and what my capability is, which is what he's trying to get across to Moses. See, even Moses doesn't know who God is yet. You get that? Because then Moses goes after that. God says, surely I'll be with you. My presence and my provision and my sufficiency will be with you. You'll have everything you need to lead my people out of Egypt. So then Moses says this to God back in Exodus. He says, okay, so when I go back to your people, notice they're not his people yet, they're your people, God, and they ask me, who is this God who sent me to you? And then they say maybe, what is his name? What is his identity? Or how is he identified? What's God say to Moses? Tell them, I am has sent you. I am that I am. That's my name. That's how I want you to identify me with my people. And we know the story. Moses relents and goes and it's through him going that he begins to understand who God is and to embrace who God really is and to ground his identity in God so that he can do and see all the things that God wants to do in him as a human being and through him. And God wants to do the same thing in our life, maybe not as dramatically as Moses, but to a degree, yes. God wants each of us as his people to understand what he could do in and through us. But the only way to do that is to know him, to embrace him for who he really is, and then to ground our identity in him. Because again, I can't say this often enough, because this is where we're going to be going the next seven weeks. You and I will never know who we really are until we know who he really is and begin to welcome who he really is and embrace who he really is into our lives. So that's why, like this morning, this is the only I am statement in John chapter 8, verse 58, that doesn't come with an accompanying metaphor. Like, you know, the next seven weeks, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. Uh, I am the door. I am the shepherd of the sheep. I am the resurrection of the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the true vine. They all have metaphors that are going to, again, tell us more and more about who he really is and how then our identity fits into that. But this morning, it's just, I am. I am. So let's go back to John chapter 8. I want to pick it up in verse 48. Remember, these are the religious leaders of Israel, and they're assaulting and attacking Jesus Christ because of the things that he said already. So they say in John chapter 8, verse 48, aren't we correct in saying that you're a Samaritan and you're demon-possessed? First of all, you could say nothing more insulting to a Jew than to say that you're a Samaritan in that day. That was an insult of the highest level. And then to say to Jesus, the Son of God, you're demon-possessed. We're correct in that, right? That's blasphemy. But notice, because Jesus is secure in who he is, he doesn't get all rattled, he doesn't lose his calm composure or anything else. You know what he does? He simply speaks the truth to them. He says, I'm not demon-possessed, but I am here to honor my Father even though you're not honoring me. And then in verse 51, he goes from speaking truth to actually giving them a gracious invitation. He says, I tell you the solemn truth. If anyone, notice, he doesn't 
he doesn't like limit it at all. He says, if anyone is willing to obey my teaching, he shall never see death. Now notice something here. Because you see this cycle throughout the whole chapter 8. It's like 20 times they insult and blaspheme Jesus here. Okay? It's blasphemy from them, and then Jesus speaks truth, and then Jesus gives a gracious invitation. Blasphemy, truth, grace. Blasphemy, truth, grace. Remember on Christmas Eve what we learned about Jesus from John chapter 1? The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of what? Grace and truth. What's Jesus giving? He's giving truth, but he's also giving a gracious invitation. That's good for us to learn, because guess what? We live in that same world with the same kind of people who may reject us. The way to respond is to respond to them the way Jesus responded. Not in an ugly way, not in the same way they're talking to us, but speak the truth, do it in love, and then give them a gracious invitation. Now notice in verse 52, then they say, oh, we are definitely correct in saying you're demon-possessed. How are you able to say if anyone obeys your teaching, they shall not see death? Even the great Abraham, the leader of our, of our nation, he died and all the prophets died. Who do you think you are saying if someone follows your teaching, they shall not see death? By the way, you'll hear this verse again when we get to the I am the resurrection and the life. Because some of you even today are asking a good question. What's Jesus mean by not seeing death? I, I want to know more about that. And you should want to know more about that. Because I'll just say this. We are living in an age, even amongst Christians, where they are fixated on death rather than fixated on Jesus. So then Jesus says, later on, he says, well... I hate to tell you, but Abraham was rejoicing to see my day. And he was happy and glad to have that time with me. And they're all like, you're crazy. When have you ever seen Abraham? You're, you're not even 50 years old. And it's in that context then that Jesus says, I'm telling you a solemn truth before Abraham even came into existence. I am. I am the eternal God, self-existent, self-reliant, self-defined, always was, always is, always will be. That's who I am. And they took up stones to stone him to death. Do we know Jesus? I mean, do we really know our Jesus? Because where our insecurities begin to fade away in our life and our fears is when we begin to know who Jesus really is and then embrace him, unlike the audience in John 8, for who he really is. You are the great I am. You are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. You hold the keys 
of death and hell in your hands. You have complete control over everything that happens in the universe that you created. There is no detail about this universe that happens without your knowledge and your consent. And therefore, there is no detail that happens in my life without your knowledge and your consent. You are the great I am. And my identity, God, is not in anything that I do and any, anything that I am down here. My identity is that I am in Christ and I am I'm grounding my identity in you so that the first thing that comes into my mind when I think about who I am is that I am a child of God who is deeply and unconditionally loved by you. That's who I am. Because that's who you are. That's who you are. Now, I realize it's a process. This isn't something that you and I are going to get one time and then be good to go. It's, it's something that you and I have to work on our whole life as a Christian even. And that's why it ties into our worship of God. Because worship is where we want God more than anything else. It's where he becomes what captivates our hearts more than anything else. And so we want to know him more. And isn't, don't you hear those words like in the New Testament from people like Paul? What was Paul's one thing he wanted more than anything? God, I want to know you. The fellowship of your sufferings, the power of your resurrection, being made conformable unto your death. One thing, God, I want more than anything else. Psalm 27, verse 4. I have asked the Lord for one thing, one thing I desire above everything else. Lord, I want to live every day in your house so that I can just gaze at your splendor and contemplate you in your temple. One thing. One thing. I want to know you, God. Why is it when people began to engage and interact with God, they just wanted even more? That's why when Moses began to understand who God really was. What was Moses' desire? God, show me your glory. Show me more of who you are, God, because I'm realizing that the more I know of you and the more I embrace you for who you are, the more secure I am, the more confident I am, the more bold I am. The, the leader that you saw in me that I never saw in me, now it's becoming real, God, because I'm seeing you for who you are. I'm embracing you for who you are, and I'm grounding my identity as Moses as not the son of Pharaoh or not the this or the greatest. Egyptian or that, I'm grounding my identity, God, in the fact that you love me and that you're my God. That's when God began to work in and through Moses. And that's when God will begin to work in and through us, too. When we stop trying to find our identity in being this occupation or that occupation or I'm this or I'm that. The things of earth, the things that can change very quickly and rapidly. God wants us to ground our identity in what can never change. And that's why the Bible even reminds us, Jesus Christ is what? The same yesterday, today, and forever. 
so that when you and I ground our identity in him, we're good. Because he's never going to change. He's that stability and rock that we have that we only have in this life. Because everything else that we touch, everything else that we smell, everything else that we see, it all changes and slips through our fingers. It doesn't last. It's temporal. It's not permanent. The only thing that's permanently secure is our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Jesus stood in the midst of religious people, of God worshipers in the temple in Jerusalem, and said, this is who I am. And they were ready to stone him to death. Now, we may not reject God that outwardly and that violently, but I believe that God is moving here today and moving in your homes today. And God is saying, stop trying to find your security and your stability in anything other than me. I have come not only to bring you salvation, but to bring you security and to release you from your insecurities and your fears and set you free. But there's only one pathway to getting there. Knowing who our Jesus really is, embracing him for who he really is, and then realizing our identity is all wrapped up in him. We can never begin to discover who we are apart from him. But when we realize that we are in Christ and that everything we are and will be and want to be and all of that comes out of our personal relationship and fellowship and worship of Jesus Christ, then life begins to really get interesting. That's where God wants to take us as his people this coming year. Let's pray. God, I ask you today, the great I am that we would sense your presence here with us today in a very special way. That those at home watching, Lord, would sense your presence with them in a very significant way, God. That we would open up our hearts and our minds to you. that we would realize, God, and confess and acknowledge that we all have some measure of insecurity in our life and that every face of insecurity is fear. And that many times, Lord, the way we act in life, the way we react in life is because really at the root of it all, we have not grounded ourselves completely in you yet. We're insecure. 
That's why we struggle with self-doubt, micromanaging everything and needing to be in control of everything around us. That's why we struggle with anxiety and being defensive when someone questions us, God. That's why we constantly compare ourselves with others and, 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 and live our lives trying to always please everybody around us, God, because we're so insecure. It's why we're jealous and envious of others, God. It's not so much what they're doing. It's more about our own insecurity that drives all of that, God. And you, God, more than anything, love us so much, you don't want to see us continue to have to live that way when we don't have to. When we can be set free from all that insecurity, God, and fear, and be settled in you once and for all. And yes, God, we understand it's a process. But God, that process can continue or start today in a very real way. And so, God, I pray not only today, but in these weeks ahead, that, God, you will cause us and enable us to, to know you more, to know who you really are, God, not, not the God we want you to be, not, not the God that's comfortable for us, not, not the God of our design and our making, but, but who you really are. We want to know you, God, and then give us, Lord, the ability to simply wrap our arms around you and embrace you, to not try to change you, but to just let you be the God that you are. And realize, Lord, that it's embracing the God that you really are and then grounding our identity in you that we become secure, stable people. We're not left to the whims of our circumstances and life situation and what's going on in the world to make us feel secure and safe and fearless. That only comes through you, God, and through our relationship with you. So, God, do a work. Begin a work today. May others see the difference, God, that you make in our life. In a world of insecurity and fear, May they see a people who are living secure and fearless in you, God, and through you. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.